You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I would like to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And as you turn, if you wouldn't mind standing out of respect of God's word this morning, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 feels a little bit strange to me uh, after five, six months in the book of 1 John to not have you turn to 1 John today. And uh, just finished up that Family Traits series last week. And I'll uh, be preaching a few general messages here um, the next few weeks. And uh, next week will be a little bit different as well. Uh, next week, we're rejoicing as a church family that Falls International Baptist Church will be organizing and chartering next week. So next Sunday, uh, Brother Ruckman, uh, James Ruckman, a missionary from um, Eastside, he started a, a ministry or church here in Sioux Falls uh, to reach the uh, large African population that is here in Sioux Falls. And the Lord has done an, a pretty incredible work over there. Uh, and uh, looking forward to them then as a church becoming their own church and stepping out from kind of the oversight of Eastside Baptist and chartering uh, next Sunday, and I'll be there uh, both services next Sunday morning and Sunday evening and getting to preach with Brother Ruckman and spend some time over there. And so uh, next Sunday morning, uh, Brother Chad Viss will be preaching. Looking forward to that. Thank you, Brother Chad, for filling in. And then Sunday night, um, is uh, we're going to have a pastor from Brookings. His name is Ivan Yoder, and he uh, pastors Bible Baptist Church about an hour north of here. He's a great man. Really appreciate Brother Yoder. Great spirit. You'll enjoy him. So make sure next week, if, even if the weather's bad, and even if it's Thanksgiving weekend or whatever you want to call it, make sure that you're in your place next Sunday. Eastside Baptist Church will still have services and still looking forward to what God might do here in our services here. So be in your place next week. Philippians 4 is where we will be this morning. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse 10 and go down through verse uh, 13. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be, and what's the word? Content. Let's read verse 11 together. Ready? Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I'll continue reading. Verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Great passage of scripture here today, and we'll be focusing on the last word of verse 11, content, and that is, you can be content. You can be content. We'll ask the Lord for his help and pray that he would speak to our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for this place we can come and focus on what we need to. I pray that you would help us this morning to focus our attention on where we need to be. Help our minds to be where it needs to be, Lord. I do pray for distractions this morning to be at a minimum so that our focus can be on you today. And Lord, we're, we're asking that you would speak to hearts today. And if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, I pray that this morning that they would be open, their hearts would be softened 
to their need, their spiritual need of eternal life. Lord, please speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Something happened in the last couple of weeks that I, I wasn't expecting. Um, we actually received an, an actual paper Christmas catalog in the mail. I don't know. Uh, did anybody else get this? It's from Amazon. Anybody else? Maybe we just ordered through Amazon way too much. Like, there's our target audience right there. So we got this actual paper catalog in the mail, and I'm supposing that maybe they thought, well, um, maybe these are going to be the hot sellers this season, and uh, maybe this is what people really want to see. We want to encourage them uh, to buy these certain things. And and I was surprised, though, because uh, to have a physical paper catalog be sent, I haven't seen this in a while now that everything's gone online. Now, but I, I know that most of us in here um, who may be a little bit older, um, we, we grew up on paper catalogs like this at Christmas time. I remember as a kid, uh, every, every November, my sister and my brother and I, we would wait with bated breath waiting for the JCPenney catalog to come in or the Sears Christmas catalog to come in. And, and this was interesting because, I'm sorry, I just looked down and saw Elmo there. I don't know why it distracted me. Maybe this is not a good catalog to have because um, it's kind of distracting. It's adorable. So, you know, but a paper catalog comes in and we got it. I brought it home to the kids. And I was like, have you all ever seen one of these before? And honestly, I, I, most of my children had never gone through a Christmas catalog before. I mean, that shows you how fast things have changed, how times have changed. But what was interesting is that I brought it home and they started going through it. And I don't have to show you much, but you'll see there's a lot more than just the pictures. There's actually markings all over the book. You know what those markings are? See, it's what I call the initial technique. When I was a kid, I would get the Sears catalog or the JCPenney catalog, and I would go through and next to everything I wanted, I would sign it with my name right next to it. We didn't even teach our children that that was what you're supposed to do with a Christmas catalog, but they did, and it's just full. I think Jace's name is next to just about everything. (laughs) So it was interesting that I did not have to teach them what to do with this, but what else is interesting is they have no idea that the way this plays out is we don't even look at this when we're consulting what to buy them. But I just thought that was interesting and really, I mean, a sign of the times. And something that we need to be reminded of in, in a week like this, it was a reminder of a bygone era, but it captures the mindset. This captures the mindset of our country this time of year. The idea that more stuff can make us happy. The idea that everything you need to be content is found within the pages of a book like this. Jace recently asked me a question, our six-year-old son He recently asked me, Daddy, why is everything about Black Friday? I don't even know that he really knows what Black Friday was. He was asking, what is Black Friday? What's it about? Why is everything about it? And it hadn't really dawned on me but because I'm so used to it, but he's right. I mean, everywhere you look, Black Friday, we've got a sale. Um, It's like the new favorite national holiday in our country. Black Friday coming up this week. And it really is a microcosm of our culture. It's a small glimpse into the big culture. Thursday is Thanksgiving, and it's supposed to be all about gratitude and 
all about thankfulness and all about our blessings. And, uh, but heaven forbid that we should remain in that frame of mind too long because the next day is Black Friday. And really, they don't need to call it Black Friday anymore because now it's actually starting on Thursdays. You know, the day that we're supposed to give a whole day to thanking God for his blessings and counting our blessings and saying, God, thank you for all the things that you've done for me. What used to start at 6 o'clock Friday morning moved to midnight Friday morning and then to 9 o'clock Thursday night on Thanksgiving Day and now it's 6 o'clock on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. So you don't even get to spend a whole day being thankful before you're being bombarded by them saying, hey, 5 o'clock, Thanksgiving's over. Stop being thankful. 5 o'clock, you got to get in your car. you got to come over and stand in line for our doors to open so you can duke it out with a stranger over the season's hottest new toy. I mean, it really has infringed on the day that we're supposed to be thankful. Now that's when the sales begin. And this has been on my mind, this thought, these thoughts on contentment have been on my mind for a few months, especially because I spent a few months teaching through the book of Philippians in the sanctuary class right here at 945 on Sunday mornings. And as I taught through this book, it quickly became apparent to me that Paul is a man who, in spite of his circumstances, had great joy. See, what is interesting about the book of Philippians is Paul wrote it while he was in prison. So it's not as though his circumstances were very good. It's not like he's writing this on Thanksgiving morning, everyone's around, things are great. No, he's in a prison cell, and he's writing a book about joy. You know the prison cell wasn't comfortable. You know the food wasn't good. You know there were difficult people. You had to think that he was putting up with unfair treatment. The very reason that he was in prison was because he was preaching the gospel, And yet through all of that, here's a man who maintains his joy. How is that possible? I mean, considering that that it doesn't even take much to throw me into a spiral of despair sometimes. I mean, if I run into traffic on the way to work, you know, suddenly things are falling apart. You ever gotten a flat tire when you needed to be somewhere? Yeah, those are the kinds of things, the small things that can throw us off balance, off our center, and yet here's Paul in a prison cell writing about joy. And yet, if somebody makes a mistake on our food order at a restaurant, I mean, we're fit to be tied. Or we've got to work around somebody that drives us crazy. And, you know, we find it so difficult sometimes. We find ourselves lacking joy because of circumstances or people or trials and these things that don't meet our expectations and they suddenly have robbed us of our joy. In a nutshell, part of being a human is the struggle with contentment. Part of being a human is the struggle with contentment. I I heard a story about an airline pilot and he was flying with his co-pilot over the hills of Tennessee and he looked down and there was a pond or a lake down there And he pointed to the ground and looked to his co-pilot and said, see that little lake down there? When I was a kid in the summers, I would sit on a boat in the middle of that lake fishing all summer long. And he said, every time an airplane flew over the lake, I would look up as a kid and say, wow, I wish I was up in that airplane. He says, now that I'm flying airplanes, when I fly over that lake, I look down and say, wow, I wish I was sitting in a boat in the middle of that lake. 
See, that's the human experience, isn't it? No matter what we have, it seems like we're always thinking, well, if I just had that, that would make me happy. If I could just be over there, that would make me happy. You talk about a summary of the human experience. We always want more. I mean, think about the original sin. Think about Lucifer in heaven. Here's a being more beautiful than any other creation, but he couldn't be content with his position. He had to have more, and he looked at God and he said, that's the position I want. And then after he's cast out of heaven, he slithers into the Garden of Eden, and he convinces Eve that she needs something more than what she has. And then Eve turns around and convinces Adam who disobeys. And now every one of us has inherited a sin nature that capitalizes on our desire and our need to always have something more. We think it'll make us happy. So we live a life in pursuit of something else. And yet you look at Paul sitting in a prison cell with nothing. He's awaiting execution over false charges. And yet he's teaching us a lesson on the word content. He's not concerned about what he lacks because he's focused on what he already has. Look at verse 10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that now, now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye also were careful, but ye lacked opportunity. In, in, in essence, what Paul is doing is writing a thank you note. Paul, verse 14, it says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. So he, he says he's in affliction right now. He's in a tough situation in prison. And while he was in prison, the church at Philippi had sent a gift. They'd sent an offering to him to take care of his needs. So he essentially then forms this letter to write a thank you note and express gratitude to the church at Philippians who had given, as we, if we kept reading, they had given time and again. But he says, so he says, I rejoiced in the Lord. But the more you read it, the more apparent it becomes that while Paul is grateful for the gift that the Philippians had provided, he does not want them to think that the Lord is not sufficient for his needs. So understand that. He's saying, thank you for taking care of my needs time and time again. He said, but I do want you to know that while I'm saying thank you, Philippians, while I'm saying thank you, I just want to remind you and let you know that I still actually have everything I need. I'm not ungrateful for the gift. I'm not unthankful for the way that you've provided. But I'm just telling you today, Philippians, I've got what I need. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So he says thank you. But he also, in the middle of it, teaches an invaluable lesson on contentment. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And that word content comes from a Greek word that means self-sufficient or independent. Now, don't think about this incorrectly. I'll explain it in a moment. But the scholar Warren Wearsby, he says it means to be contained, almost like it's self-contained. So everything I need is right here is what he's saying. The idea is that you, Paul's saying, I have what I need. Wearsby said, it is a description of the man whose resources are within him so he does not have to depend on substitutes without. He says, Paul is saying, I have everything that I need right here. The, there's an lexicon of the New Testament says content is defined as sufficient for oneself, strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support, independent of external circumstances. Now, I want to be sure that we understand something. 
Paul is not saying that he is content and therefore self-sufficient and doesn't need anything outside of himself. He's not saying, I've got everything I need, just step back because I've got this. No, rather he's saying, I've already found what I need and I don't need anything else. Everything that I need to be content is self-contained in what I already have. I'm contained, I'm self-sufficient. This containment in what he had already had meant that although he was grateful for the offering from the Philippians, it did not change his contentment level. So if, if a, a bad circumstance like prison could not deter him from being content, then a good circumstance like an offering from the Philippians could also not affect his contentment. He is content. Bad, good. Uh, down, up. It doesn't matter whatsoever state I am. He's saying, no matter what, I'm thankful for the offering, but it, doesn't con- it does not affect my internal, self-sufficient, self-contained level of, con- of contentment. Now, does that mean that we have what we need in ourselves? No. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not the point he's making. Paul knew he was nothing in himself. Go read the book of of Romans chapter 7 and you'll find out what Paul really thinks of himself. The good that I would, I do not. The evil which I would not, that I do. Paul is not saying I've got it and I don't need anything else. No, what Paul is doing is making a point that he actually says in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. What he's saying is there's nothing I need outside of Christ, which I already have. See, Paul is teaching the most important lesson on contentment, and that is Jesus Christ is all you need to be content. If you have Jesus Christ, then you have, by God's grace, the inner resources to face life without the outward things others are pursuing for happiness. Having Jesus Christ means you don't have to look for the outward resources for your strength or your comfort or your help. Instead, look no further, seek no more than the resources God has already graciously given you through his word and his son, Jesus Christ. So I want to notice today three truths about contentment that I think we can learn from the Apostle Paul. And these are simple this morning, but I think they're also at the same time profound because of how Paul relays them and the position he's in. Truths about contentment from the Apostle Paul. First is your circumstances and contentment are not connected. Your circumstances and contentment are not connected. And you say, well, they are. Well, they only are if you allow them to be. Your circumstances and and true contentment in Christ are not connected because Paul said, not that I speak in respect of want, there in verse 11. Even in prison... Paul is not focused on, what, on his wants. He's not focused on what he doesn't have. That means that Paul's not sitting in that prison cell thinking about a warm bed and thinking about good food and thinking about a comfortable home. He's not sitting in prison thinking about all the things he doesn't have. Instead, he's focused on what he does have in Jesus Christ. And we should be in the habit of focusing on what we do have rather than what we don't have. See, the opposite of contentment is covetousness. And we'll, we'll look at that, I think, in a future message. I'll just touch on it today, but covetousness is desiring what you don't have. And I, I believe that the fruit of covetousness grows in a heart that is focused more on what we don't have than what we already do have. And when we get more focused 
on what we lack rather than what we already have, it's almost as if what we have now no longer matters. It's like watching children, you know, thinking about Christmas morning, watching children on Christmas morning open their gifts. You know, they open a gift and maybe it's something they even marked in the book. And they open it and it's everything they ever wanted and they're happy and they're rejoicing and, and they're, they're giving you hugs and, and enjoying it. And as a parent, I'm telling you, I enjoy that too. It's fun to give them something that makes them excited. I, I, I want to be careful not to be, make them materialistic, but there's a joy in giving gifts. And as I give them the gifts and they open it and they're excited and they open the gift and, and they're just so excited and pumped up and they're tearing the paper and they, they got what they wanted just a few seconds later, guess what they're doing? They're looking for the next gift. See, because they stopped, it's nature, human nature, they stopped focusing on what they already are holding in their hands, and they're already looking to what they don't have. And they're anticipating getting the next thing. And it's called, and I'm not saying that that's evil. If you feed it and allow them to live that way, it becomes covetousness. Kind of like maybe ladies seeing an outfit or some new shoes or something that you really want and, and suddenly you don't like the closet full of clothes that you already have. And I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying I've never felt those things before. I'm saying that's human nature. We see one thing that we wish that we had and rather than focusing on being grateful for what we already have in the closet, we're like, well, this isn't good enough because look at that. Or your car is a few years old and, and it doesn't have you know, all the bells and whistles the new ones do. And suddenly, rather than being thankful for the vehicle that God has given you that runs well and gets you around, suddenly we can't stop looking at the new pickup truck. We can't stop thinking about what is next and what we could have and this vehicle that's perfectly acceptable. I mean, I'm not saying it's beautiful, I'm not saying that it runs perfectly all the time, but you know, to have a running vehicle should be something we're thankful for, but many times we're looking at what we don't have. Or a job, you're, you aren't happy with the work or the people at work, and so you grow impatient and you're ungrateful, and even though that job was given to you by God and takes care of your needs, you're trying to find something else. At home, we see each other's flaws in public, private but in public we look around and we're like well there's a perfect family or yeah that family they've got it all going on and, and they don't have any problems and and we think well boy you know i just wish that we were that way or you know sometimes and this can happen in our culture in our country where everything's just temporary and a husband or her wife says i wish my my wife said a wife says i wish my husband was more like that or a wife says, I wish, or my husband says, I wish my wife was more like that. And suddenly, rather than being thankful for the, the fact that God has brought two people together, we start looking around and thinking, if I had more, I would be happy. Teenagers, you know, you look at your parents and you think, well, I wish my parents were as nice as their parents. I wish my parents were a little bit more lenient like their parents are. Their parents are so cool. Well, first, let me just say that Every mom turns into Darth Vader sometimes, okay? So it's not as good as you think it is. But second, God placed you in that family in his sovereignty on purpose, knowing those are the parents that you need. 
If you ever get to the place where you think, well, somebody else is perfect and my dad's not, you are involved, engaged in the sin of covetousness. Be thankful that you have parents that love you and take care of your needs and, and, and bring you to church and want to feed your spiritual life. We, can get, we get to the place where everything that we have, we start to resent because we're focused on what we don't have. It happens with money. It can happen with a position at work. It can happen with getting possessions and more stuff and life circumstances and, and health needs. You know, if, you're, if you're to be content, you have to discard the thought that circumstances and contentment are connected because they're not. The second truth from Paul I want to look at today is that you can be content if you choose to learn it. You can be content if you choose to learn it. Paul twice talks about having to learn to be content. Look at verse 11 again. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am, what? Instructed both to be full and to be hungry. So it becomes pretty plain here that even Paul is saying, I had to learn to be this way. I had to learn to be content. I had to be instructed to be content. This is not something that came naturally to me. I had to learn it. It's not natural. As we saw earlier, uh, it was the weakness that Satan exploited in the garden to want more. A child in the nursery is rarely content with the toy he or she has. He wants the other kid's toys. They want someone else's. And us adults, often we're not much better. We're good at playing that if-only game where, well, if only I got married, I would be happy. Or if only I got that new job, I'd be happy. Or if only I could move into that nicer place, things would come together. Or if only we could have young couples or couples in here, if only we could have children, we'd be content. We look around and we play this if-only game and think, well, if only, if only I lived somewhere else. If only I, we didn't have to go through the winters in Sioux Falls. I mean, if only, if only, if only. And we all can think that way, which is why we must, like Paul, learn. We must choose. We have to choose to learn to be content. If learning is a choice, then contentment is a choice. And learning is a choice. We either learn or we don't. And if contentment comes by learning, then I can choose to learn to be content. And what's interesting is that Paul chooses to be content in the good and the bad times. He says, in whatsoever state I am. And then look at verse 12. He says, I've learned to be content when I'm, he said, I know both how to be abased. And abased means brought to a humble condition. He says, I've learned to both be abased and I know how to abound. To abound means to have more than enough. He says, I everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So do you see that he's not just saying, I've learned to be content here in prison because it's really hard. No, he's saying, I've learned to be content in prison, but I've also learned to be content when everything is really good for me. See, I truly believe, and I believe this from this passage even, that it's, just as, it's as hard um, to be content when things are good as it is to be content when things aren't very good. I believe it's, it's as hard as it is to learn to be content when the times are tough and things are down. It's just as difficult to be content when everything's going the way that you want it to. I mean, when it's, when it's tough, 
you hang on to every blessing you've got. When it's hard, you're just thankful for anything that goes well. You're grateful for everything. When you have a health need or a health scare, you're thankful for every small little blessing along the way. It's easy to be content when, things, when you have to be uh, trusting and depending on the Lord because things are difficult. And I'm not saying it's easy to be content. I'm just saying sometimes when we have to depend on the Lord, contentment comes more naturally. I read a story about a, a Jewish man in Hungary. And he, this is from Reader's Digest, so I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a good story. He went to his rabbi and he said, life is unbearable. There are nine of us in one room. So imagine that. Nine of us in one room. There's no room to move. It's loud. There's no space. Everything is just bad. And the rabbi said, okay, I know you have a goat. So I want you to go and take your goat and move him inside with you. He said, come back to me in a week. So the man moved the, the goat into the house with him. For a week they lived that way. And a week later he went back to the rabbi and he said, this is terrible. I mean, the goat smells. He takes up space. This is an awful decision. I, shouldn't have not have, I should not have followed your advice. The goat is filthy. Things are bad. So the rabbi said, okay, go home and let the goat out again and then come back in a week. And a week later, that man returned and he was happy as could be. And he says, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there's no goat. Now there's only nine of us in the house. See, when things... Uh, when, when things are bad and they get a little better, it can be easy to be content because it's better than it was. But I think our problem, especially in this culture, is that we don't need to learn to just be content when it's bad. We need some people that would choose to be content when things are good. See, this, uh, some of the most discontent people I've ever met are people who have everything. And you've, you've seen it too. You know that. They have everything they need. They have no needs. They're, they're, they've got all their, their finances are taken care of. They live in a nice home. They have nice vehicles. And yet, because their expectations are constantly being fed with more, it's like they can't get enough. And they're discontent. See, contentment is a choice that needs to be learned both in the good and the bad times. Both of them test our faith. But most of us readily turn to the Lord in times of need but when I have everything I do need already, I tend to be less dependent on, on God and how much I truly need Him. Three truths about contentment is your circumstances and contentment are not connected. Second, you can be content if you choose to learn. And third, you don't need anything more than Jesus Christ. There are some in this room and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And your whole life, you've been looking for something to fill that void. Relationships, you've tried them all. Money, you've tried to earn it. You've tried to save it. You've tried to get more. You've tried to gather, gather stuff. You've been involved in activity. Some turn to alcohol to kind of drown out that void that's left. Some think that they'll be content by being religiously involved, but none of those things will truly touch the ache of a heart that's still bound by sin. Jesus Christ offers you eternal life, and you simply have to acknowledge that your sin is your biggest problem. It's not that you lack stuff. It's not that you don't have enough money. 
It's not that your relationships just haven't worked out. It's not that you don't have a college degree yet. It's not that you haven't met the right one or you haven't been able to have children or your house is too small or your vehicle's not nice enough or you just wish you had a better job. Those things don't truly touch contentment. Jesus Christ is the only answer to the void that you're lacking. And like he told the woman at the well, whosoever drinketh of this water that I shall give shall never thirst. Stop looking to satisfy your spiritual hunger and thirst with inadequate resources. They can't fill you. They can't feed you. They cannot quench your thirst. When Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, he meant salvation too. There's literally nothing that Jesus Christ can't fix in our lives. There's no answer for your sin. There's no answer for eternal life outside of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Your sin must be dealt with, but Jesus Christ dealt with it. He died for it. He paid for it. And friend, if you've been searching your whole life and you've never found contentment in all of the other, other things, there is a cross-shaped void. Only the cross can fix it. Jesus Christ died for you. And He wants you to be saved. If you would simply receive Him today, you can walk out of this building knowing contentment. There are others in this room that have a relationship with Christ, but you're miserably discontent. It shows up in your spending habits. You go into debt. You live outside of your means, just hoping it scratches the itch, but it doesn't. It shows up in many in their mobility habits, meaning they never stay in one place very long because they always think, I've got to find something else. And so they're always moving jobs. They're always moving apartments. They're moving into a new house or they're always moving into a new city, and they think, well, if I just keep moving, I will eventually catch up with what will make me happy. And I already mentioned this, but divorce rates at an all-time high, they're evidence of our lack of contentment. In our search for more, we discard what God has already blessed us with, and many throw that relationship out at the drop of a hat these days to try to find what else might satisfy. Hardly anybody's content anymore. One man said it this way, if we're young, we want to be older. If we're old, we wish we were younger. I mean, if it's, if it's old, we want something new. If it's new, we want something newer. If it's small, we want something bigger. If it's big, we want something really big. If we have $100, we want $200. If we have $200, we want $500. If we have an apartment, we want a condo. If we want a condo, we want a we, if we have a condo, we want a house. If we have a house, we want a bigger house. We want a new house. We want a nicer house. Maybe we want to scale down and live in an apartment again or do what crazy people do and live in a tiny home. I don't know how you can be content with that. If we have a job, we dream of a better job, a bigger job, a more prominent job, a closer job. Bigger office, a better boss, better benefits, more challenge, bigger opportunities, nicer people to work with and for, and more vacation time. If we're single, we dream of being married. If we're married, you see where the problem is. 
You know, this mentality of being discontent, it will never satisfy you. So if you are looking for contentment in any situation or circumstance or person or possession, you will never find it. You'll always be reaching for more until you fully realize the truths of contentment that were given by Paul in Philippians 4. You will constantly be looking for something else to satisfy you outside of Christ. And I'll just tell you this, it never comes. You'll live your life in pursuit of something impossible to capture. And because I love to make these guys come up here, I have a couple of men, young men I've talked to to help me with this illustration. These are my illustration guys. I told Josiah earlier, I said, I need you to begin. He's like, we don't have to hold hands this time, do we? So, Josh, you come stand right here on the second step. And his, he's got a sign that says, Christ equals contentment. Christ equals contentment. If we could summarize Philippians 4, 10 through 13, Christ equals contentment. But on the other hand, what we're always chasing is something more. So, Josiah, would you come up here and stand next to Josh? And you don't have to hold his hands, but I want you to put your hand on his shoulder. It's because I love awkwardness. (laughs) So, as long as Josiah is near Christ, does he have contentment? As long as Josiah is near Christ, does he have contentment? Yes, he does, because Christ equals contentment. But you know what comes along is more. And for Josiah, this could be a nicer skateboard, okay? But for you or me, it may be a nicer truck. It may be a bigger house. And so Josiah says, ooh, I want more. So he steps away from Christ and he starts following more. I told him, maintain about six feet between you and me, okay? We'll see how good he is at math. Okay, so, so more is, is a new car or it's a new home or it's a de- better circumstances. Okay, it's, it's to fix all the health issues in our lives or to give us a nicer home, and so more, and so Josiah, he's so passionately, look at him with his arms in his pockets, he's so passionately chasing more, put your arms out, just like this, he wants more, and you know what, sometimes he even catches it, but does he have contentment, because contentment's with Christ, so more starts moving again, and Josiah very passionately with his arms out, excitedly chases more to help the pastor with the illustration. And he chases more, six feet. He chases more, <laughs> he chases more, and he's never getting it. He wants a better job, or he wants more money, he wants more possessions, and he's constantly chasing it, and sometimes he actually catches it. But does he have contentment? Because contentment is only found in Jesus Christ. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So, you know, we can chase more, and we can always be looking for it. And we can think, well, if I could just change my circumstance, if I could just change my job, if I could just change my financial situation, if I could just have something else, I would be content. But unless you have Jesus Christ, you'll never be content. You can chase more your whole life. And never capture contentment. Because it's only in Jesus. I read a legend. I'm sure it's not a true story. But it's about a wealthy merchant during Paul's day. 
And that he had heard about the apostle. He'd become so fascinated with the apostle that he determined to pay him a visit. So while passing through Rome, he reached out to Timothy and arranged an interview with Paul in prison. Merchant went to the prison and stepped inside the prison cell and and he was surprised to find the Apostle Paul looking frail and old, but also immediately surprised that he felt such strength and peace in a man who had relied on Christ as his all in all. They talked for a time and then finally the merchant left the cell and as he walked out, he asked Timothy, he said, what's the secret of Paul's power? I've never seen anything like that before. And Timothy said, well, can't you tell Paul's in love? That was a surprise, huh? Well, the merchant was surprised too. He said, in love? And Timothy said, yes, Paul's in love with Jesus Christ. The merchant looked even more surprised and said, is that all? And Timothy smiled and said, that's everything. Folks, if you have Christ, you have everything. If you have Christ, you have all you need, including contentment. You don't need more. You don't need if only. All you need to be content is found in Jesus Christ. Stop chasing more. Stop chasing everything else. You'll never catch it. You'll never find contentment outside of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.